This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this week's BMJ Best Practice podcast on COVID-19. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. In this week's podcast, we're going to focus on some important issues related to management of the disease and vaccination. To tell us how guidelines can help with these issues, we have on the line Drs. Matt Castleton and Dr. Abigail Davis, both section editors and both GPs, and who both work on BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. So to start with Matt and management in the first instance, Matt, has there been any important new international guidance on the management of COVID-19? Yes, uh, at the end of last month, uh, in January, the World Health Organization updated their previous treatment guidance, which dates back to May 2020, and at the time was called Interim Guidance. Their new document is uh, a living guidance document, so it indicates their intention to keep it regularly updated as the supporting evidence changes. Okay, thank you. And are there any significant new recommendations in this updated guidance? Yes, there are five new conditional recommendations and there's a a new best practice statement as well. The first of those recommendations is is actually a negative recommendation concerning the use of prediction models or, or prognostic scores for guiding management decisions for patients with COVID-19, uh, and that generally means the decision either to admit a patient to hospital or for patients within hospital, whether to admit them to ITU. So in recent months, several of these prognostic scores have been developed in the UK. For example, there's the, the 4C score for um, uh, inpatients and a, a, a Q-COVID score, prognostic score for patients in the community. But when the WHO expert panel looked at these tools, they concluded for various reasons that they couldn't be recommended over use of clinical judgment. Um, So they concluded there was potential for bias, there was lack of evidence of benefits in terms of of actual patient outcomes, and a lack of validation studies, uh, and I think external validation studies in particular. And so my understanding is that they couldn't be recommended over clinical judgment. Is that correct? That That's right at the moment. Uh, and I should add, all, all these new recommendations are low or very low certainty recommendations according to the, the grade methodology. So you know, they're very subject to change if new evidence comes along. And it shows how you, you know, uncertain the evidence base in general is with COVID-19. So it's not a uh, a definitive conclusion, but at the moment, uh, you know, the panel felt the evidence wasn't sufficient to say they were any better than you know, an individual clinician making a judgment whether to admit a patient or not. Okay, thank you. And there's another recommendation regarding pulse oximetry. Uh, that's right. They've took the position that symptomatic patients with COVID-19 who might be at risk of progression so perhaps because of their age or, or, or risk factors who are not in hospital, that they should be offered pulse oximetry monitoring at home, as long as that was part of a package of care and there were guidance on, on when these patients should be monitored and appropriate follow-up. 
and this very much is in line with with guidance in the UK as well, which we we cover in our COVID nineteen in primary care uh, learning module. There's the NHS England oximetry at home guidance that says something very similar. Uh, all patients with COVID-19 in the community over 65 or extremely clinically vulnerable should have access to a pulse oximeter for monitoring at home and this should be part of a of a standardized care pathway and the WHO their new recommendation is very much in line with that. Okay thank you and what about any new recommendations for the treatment of patients with COVID-19 in hospital? Yeah, so the other three new recommendations all relate to, to hospital in, inpatients. There's a, a conditional recommendation for the use of awake prone positioning uh, in patients with severe COVID-19 who require supplemental oxygen or, or non-invasive ventilation, so CPAP or something like that. Perhaps uh, clinicians who don't work in hospital may not be so familiar with proning, but it's become a, a an important part of managing uh, critically ill patients with COVID-19 where they're placed in a face-down position to recruit more lung for oxygenation. And prior to COVID-19, it was done in very severely unwell patients, usually with acute respiratory distress syndrome. But there's felt now to be benefit in patients who are not sedated and ventilated uh, with invasive mechanical ventilation, that they could be on high-flow oxygen and still awake, but placed in the prone position and benefit from this. So the WHO have concluded that that's a worthwhile thing to do. We have a BMJ learning module uh, entitled Proning in Critical Care that covers proning in in such patients in more detail. Okay, thank you. And there are also further recommendations regarding thromboprophylaxis and care bundles, I, I believe. Can you tell us about them? Really, that's confirming what, what is probably usual practice in most centres, but with the, the, the pro-thrombotic tendency of COVID-19, I think there had been some question as to whether patients with severe COVID-19 should have higher than normal prophylactic doses of anticoagulation, and the conclusion there was no standard prophylaxis dosing, uh, standard thromboprophylaxis was fine. Uh, They wouldn't need intermediate or therapeutic dosing of anticoagulation. Again, that's obviously unless they're confirmed to to have a venous thromboembolism. So that's sort of confirming the practice there. Uh, And similarly, that uh, existing care bundles, which would be a a combination of evidence-based practices. uh, So these existing critical care for uh, things such as managing delirium or uh, dealing with pressure ulcers, that they should still be used. Again, there's sort of a question there uh, over whether the increased administrative burden of using these bundles was justified, perhaps given the sort of resource implications and setting that against the potential benefits and patient outcomes. The guidance uh, development panel concluded that on, on, on balance, yes, they, they were worth using. Okay, thank you. And is there anything else that's new in this guidance, Matt? Yes, there's a a new section in the guideline and a a best practice statement that covers patients with persisting symptoms following COVID-19. So this is the the, uh, so-called long COVID that we've discussed previously. And really the WHO 
again, sort of follows a similar position to, to what we have in the UK with the NICE guideline published in December last year. And it makes a clear statement that patients who have had suspected or confirmed COVID-19, uh, regardless of disease severity, if they have persistent new or changing symptoms, they should have access to follow-up care. So again, that's sort of supporting the setup of long COVID clinics and um, the sorts of measures that, that we've discussed previously. Okay. Thank you very much, Matt. That's that's really helpful. Let's move on to, to Abby. Abby, management of coexisting conditions is always a concern in the COVID pandemic. Can you tell us what's happening here? Yes. Well, many organisations are starting to publish vaccination advice now for patients who have chronic conditions. And we're adding this advice to the management of coexisting conditions topic with each update. And in recent weeks, we've also seen the publication of some trials supporting the continuation of ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers in patients who are admitted to hospital with COVID-19. Okay, thank you. And what's the latest advice on vaccination? Well, this week we've added advice for patients with liver conditions, immune thrombocytopenia and rheumatological conditions. Um, So let's talk about liver conditions first of all. A joint statement from four British liver organisations has advised that patients with chronic liver disease autoimmune hepatitis and patients who have had a liver transplant should consider having SARS-CoV-2 vaccination with any of the available vaccines. Okay, thank you. And what about haematology? The American Society for Haematology has updated their guidance for patients with immune thrombocytopenia um, and the updated guidance advises that vaccine administration can occasionally result in a drop in the platelet count in stable patients with immune thrombocytopenia. Um, But with our current knowledge, they still recommend that the expected benefits of the vaccine outweigh the risks. And clinicians should consider taking baseline and then post-vaccination platelet counts, especially in patients who have ongoing thrombocytopenia or a history of unstable platelet counts. Um, In the update, they also note that viral infections can trigger acute immune thrombocytopenia um, as a new thing or an exacerbation in patients with stable disease. And so if a patient presents with the thrombocytopenia, we should consider testing for COVID-19. Thank you. And and then there's the very common issue of immunosuppressants and rheumatological conditions. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, so some of the immunosuppressive drugs used to treat rheumatological conditions have the potential to reduce a patient's response to a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, And so the timing of vaccination might need to be amended for some patients. But the guidance is clear that it's quite an individual circumstance and the benefits versus the risks of delaying should be discussed with the patient um, and a shared decision made with patient and clinician. What the guidelines say is that specialists should advise their patients based on the knowledge of the patient and understanding of their immune status and their likely response to vaccination, but also consider the risk of the patient getting COVID-19 and how likely they are to be exposed to it. 
a joint statement has been released from some British rheumatology groups stating that if a patient is going to start scheduled immunosuppressive treatment, vaccination should be considered at least two weeks before commencing therapy. And if possible, it's preferable for both of the two doses of the schedule to be completed before starting the immunosuppressive treatment. Thank you. That's very clear. Um, lastly, tell us about the latest evidence on, on ACE inhibitors and COVID-19. We've recently seen the publication of two randomised controlled trials investigating whether to continue or discontinue ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers in patients who are admitted to hospital with COVID-19. Um, the trials enrolled patients from eight countries in both North and South America and in Europe. And the researchers found that continuation of um, ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers in those patients admitted to hospital with COVID had no effect on um, survival, progression of COVID-19, need for intensive care or mechanical ventilation, development of shock, cardiovascular events, blood pressure control, kidney function or length of hospitalisation compared with discontinuation. Thank you. And, and I believe there was another cohort study. Can you tell us about this? Uh, yes, that's right. There was a large prospective cohort study carried out in the United Kingdom, and that reported that ACE inhibitor or angiotensin 2 receptor blocker use was associated with a significantly reduced risk of COVID-19 and no increased risk of intensive care admission. Okay, thank you very much, Abby. And also thank you to Matt. And, and thanks to all of you for listening. We hope that this has been helpful and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign in to BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other related diseases. Thank you once again.